Good morning, everybody. Hello, hello. Uh, say good morning to someone close to you. It doesn't have to be your neighbor, just someone. <laughs> and your neighbor if you want to. It's up to you. <laughs> um, and then say good morning to everybody joining us online this morning. Hey, hey. We are so happy you've joined us, whether you are in person or in line or you're watching this later. Um, we're just happy that we get a chance to worship together through our music and to worship together through the word. Um, so I'm going to pray over us and then we're going to get started with some music this morning. And we worship here in a posture, whatever you're comfortable with. So if you want to stand, please stand and jump around or whatever. Just be cautious of that neighbor you said good morning to. Um, <laughs> because we can get a little out of hand. So I'm going to pray over us. God, we are so thankful to be able to be in this space and just experience your presence in community. And um, we come with expectation this morning, knowing that where we are, you are Jesus. And that you, um, you're always with us. And so I say, come Holy Spirit in this place. And I pray that each individual person feels um, individually touched by you this morning, Jesus. Let it not be the words we say or the music we play, um, but just your presence alone, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get started with some music.
Good morning, Vineyard, here, there, and everywhere. We're excited that you're here with us, one way or the other. Uh, this morning, Pastor Brent will continue our series, A Journey Through the Old Testament of Those Who Were Called by God. And this is the story of Deborah found in Judges 4 and 5. You can follow along in your Bible or your app. Is God calling you to higher levels of commitment and responsibility? There is a membership class today, and it's a right after the service. Um, you'll be out in the fellowship hall, so uh, hopefully if you're not a member already, God's putting it on your heart to be there, and you can find out more about that after the service in the fellowship hall. Looking for a night out? Check the flyer in your bulletin and join us Wednesday, August 16th from 3 to 9 at the Texas Roadhouse, which is right down here at 91 in the freeway. They are hosting a fundraiser for Vineyard Outreaches. Tell your server that you are there for the fundraiser or show them the flyer. Plan ahead, CFK Christmas for Kids fundraiser. Dinner and raffle is coming up on Saturday, October the 7th. Buy your tickets beginning next week in the lobby. And one of the things we are commanded to do is to baptize and next week. Uh, we will be having baptism, so if you've not been baptized, uh, we will be having a meeting uh, this Thursday night at 7. I will be leading it. If you have any questions, you can talk to me. Uh, and we will be doing baptisms at the end of the service next Sunday. So again, uh, one of the things we're called as Christians is to be baptized. If you've not been baptized, we'd love to have you uh, be baptized next Sunday. Uh, but we have a meeting again uh, Thursday at 7 here at the church uh, to go over uh, why we get baptized, all the information about how we physically go about uh, being baptized. So come and join us for that. Are you a small group leader? Or have you been thinking about being a small group leader and want to become one and learn more? If so, please attend group leaders meeting on Sunday, August 27th, following the Sunday morning service. We'll be preparing and going over the material for our fall book study, The Reason for God. Like refreshments will be provided. Just a reminder not to forget our offering. Back in the back is the table. And, of course, uh, not just your regular giving, but up and beyond the, the gifts for our rebuild campaign. So with that, uh, be blessed. And Brent will be up shortly to tell you about Deborah. something you're walking with something some days and nothing other days some days I forget no yeah, some days it hurts and some days it doesn't so I'm supposed to at some point here get some something done to my hip I'm just kind of waiting on 
doctors and that kind of thing. So I tore it up one day working out at the food pantry, um, lifting giant pallets that weighed like 300 pounds by myself. It was amazing feats of strength. Um, and I just twisted wrong lifting a pallet. And, and, and I'm getting older, so my body didn't quite... My, my brain thought I could do it. My body went, eh, not so much. So um, we're doing a series. So anyway, it is weird. Some days I'll, I'll wake up and I'll be, hey, it feels pretty good today. And then I'll go out and walk around and do stuff. And then I'll go, I probably shouldn't have went and walked around and done stuff the next day because then it'll be really sore. So um, uh, today we're going to be looking and we're doing a whole series on, on God calling and a lot of times when people think of God calling, they think of, um, you know, something. They think of Verizon or T-Mobile. Or, no, not really. But you think of, um, you, you think of like some specific, spectacular thing that happens. You know, God just reveals Himself to you suddenly, and you're like, oh, I need to do that. And that's, I mean, God does it like that sometimes. He has done it in Scripture like that. But sometimes it's just more, a little bit more subtle. And, and today we're going to be looking at actually three people, um, Deborah, Brock, and J.L. J, J, I can't pronounce it. J.L. Um, three people that God used to help deliver Israel from uh, one of their many, many challenging places they found themselves in. Today we're looking into the book of Judges. Have any of you ever read the book of Judges? It's like... When you read it, it gets more and more depressing, doesn't it? It's like somebody said, it's actually it's sort of built on, on cycles of apostasy. And it really is. It's built on these, these cycles of apostasy after Joshua, Moses' heir. Not heir, but the person that followed Moses. After he dies, there grows up a generation of people who don't know the Lord, who don't know God. And so they go after other gods and inevitably, when we disconnect ourselves from God, we end up worshiping something. And the stuff that they end up worshiping ends up dragging them into some really bad places. And so God turns them over to those things that they worship. That's one of, you know, people talk about, does God punish us? It's like, well, a lot of times he just lets us do what we want. And that in itself becomes its own punishment. Um, so... Again, today we're looking at some really unusual people that God uses to help bring out of one of those cycles of apostasy. Israel had gotten themselves in a really bad place. And God, as he so often does when we cry out for help, no matter how we get there, no matter how we find ourselves there, God is always so kind and gracious to pull us out, isn't he? So let's pray first. Father, um, I pray for your strength, for your energy. I thank you that you use all kinds of people to do all kinds of things, Lord. You use men, you use women, you use children. You even used a donkey once. And that's, God, you can, use, you can use anything. And we're thankful that you let us participate. Help us to remember our role, your roles. Help us to be courageous when you ask us to do something that seems way out of our league. Help us to... Um, to, to listen to your voice and what you are calling us to and the voice of other people who, who call us and who you work through. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
And so today we start out in, um, in the book of uh, uh, Judges in chapter 4. And actually, this whole narrative uh, is two chapters long. It's chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4, are you going to have your baby right now? Are you really? She just went over. She's over there. She's going, uh, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> it's like, do we have a doctor in the house? No, we don't. Okay. Um, so, uh, chapter 4 talks about kind of the more historical picture of what's going on. And then chapter 5 is very poetic. And it's actually one of the first songs we have in Scripture. It's a beautiful song about what happened. It gives a little bit more theological nuance to what has happened. And so we learn from both parts of it. I'm not going to read the whole, the whole of chapter 5. I may allude to it at different places. But um, I'll just stick with chapter 4 primarily. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So Ehud was another... Um, one of the people that that God dealt with uh, in the previous chapters. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Cana, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hegoyim. There's a lot of weird names here, isn't there? For them, they're not weird. They they don't think the names are weird because that's they live there. But we do because we don't live there. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now, we don't understand chariots. Chariots in those days were, I don't know, it would basically be like, um, I guess, tanks or drones or something. They were just a, an amazing advantage in battle. And so later on, we'll find out that, that Israel sends out 10,000 troops against 100 chariots, or against 900 chariots, 1,000 chariots. And that is considered overwhelming odds on the basis of the chariots. They would have overwhelming odds. It would be like 10,000 people attacking 1,000 tanks with rocks and, you know, Molotov cocktails. It's just not a fair battle. And so Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lepodath, was leading Israel at the time, and she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak, the son of Abinunam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, Go take 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead um, Sesera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go, I ain't going. Certainly, <laughs> says that there somewhere. Um, Certainly I will go with you, Deborah said. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver, deliver Sesera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, pitched his tent by the great tree Azananim near Kadesh. 
So this, this group of Kenites who actually had been relatives of Moses had decided to cast their lot in with, in with um, Jabin and had kind of switched sides and they were on the side of Israel's enemies. Except for this one guy, he kind of moves back. Now, um, when they told Sesera that Barak, the son of Binoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sesera summoned him from Hagersheth Hagayim. If I say these things different twice, please have mercy on me. It's Sunday morning, and they are challenging words to say. And if I said them in Hebrew, I would be spitting on all of you. So, um, to the Kishon Valley, all of his men, not on purpose, it's just the way Hebrew is. I'm sorry. All his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go this day, the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots and the army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagayim. And all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Hebar the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabar, the king of Hazar, and the family of Hebar the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened up skins of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes and asks you, is anyone in here, say no. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went to him quietly as he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the tent peg through his temple in the ground, and he died. Now, we're teaching this to your kids this morning, so... Not really. It's like just then Barak came back came in came by in pursuit of Sesera, and Jael went out to meet him. And she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sesera with the tent pig through his temple, dead. On that day the Lord, the Lord subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan until they destroyed him. And so, Father, bless these words of yours, I pray. Amen. You know, it's interesting. If you look at history, back in the early 60s, there was a presidential person named John F. Kennedy, JFK. And JFK was considered... um, probably one of the more progressive presidents in our era. He was attributed with working with Martin Luther King Jr. to um, you know, get laws passed for civil rights, for voting rights, for desegregation, all kinds of things. But if you actually read the history of the United States, he actually he didn't really do any of those things because he was killed pretty early on in his thing. Instead, there was this guy named Lyndon B. Johnson. Any of you ever heard of him? He was actually the one who ended up doing almost all of those things. In fact, let me read you a quote about some of the things. 
that uh, Lyndon B. Johnson did. To this day, the mystique of John F. Kennedy lingers. One third of Americans rate Kennedy as a great president and and professional historians typically bestow generous accolades on him as well. And yet, on the day he was murdered, President Kennedy had accomplished astonishingly little in his domestic program. And part of that was because he was killed. It was the graceful Kennedy's ungainly successor who transformed Kennedy's soaring rhetoric into legal reality. It was Johnson, not Kennedy, who pushed through Congress the laws that overthrew legal segregation in the South. It was Johnson, not Kennedy, who gained Southern blacks the right to vote. It was Johnson, not Kennedy, who created Medicaid and Medicare. And it was Johnson, not Kennedy, who protected wild rivers. Isn't that interesting? Somebody that really... If you if you really study Johnson Lyndon B Johnson much he's not he's just kind of a nobody sort of and yet that was the person that God used to bring deliverance in a sense to a lot of the African American community in our world in our country and so as we look at this one of the things we discover is that God uses unique people to accomplish His purposes when. Um, Augustine, as St. Augustine, as some of you may know him, um, was searching and, and wondering what, what was real and, and what he should believe. He was not a Christian. He was a pagan and he was a, kind of a drunk and a womanizer and all kinds of things. It was reading Cicero, who was a, who was a poet and a historian and a philosopher and not a Christian, as far as I know, um, that, that drew... Augustine towards Christ. He says the book, he, was, he, he writes about reading Cicero, he said, the book changed my way of feeling and the characters of my desires altered. All my hollow hopes suddenly seemed worthless and with unbelievable intensity my heart burned with a longing for immortality that wisdom seemed to promise. I began to rise up in order to return to you. He writes, and God uses somebody that's not even um, Cicero, like I said, as far as I know, I don't think was a Christian. And in, and in my own life, I've shared with you how um, traveling out west once, in, uh, soon after my recovery from alcoholism, before I was a Christian, that it was actually three other women who were in recovery with me that I was going out camping with, not romantically, but just because they wanted to go camping. And it was one of them who was not a Christian who finds this thing in my car that was called The Ten Commandments of Robert Schuller, And she starts reading it. And that's literally when she got to the fifth commandment of Robert Schuller, It had something to do with, I don't know what, but it was all these things that God had been pl- you know, putting in my heart over all these years. All of a sudden, all these things that had even been, been speaking to me and putting in my heart came to fruition and everything began to make sense. And this non-Christian lady ring- reading something by this guy named Robert Schuller led me to Christ. And some of you are going, now we understand why you are the way you are. Isn't that amazing? God uses all kinds of unique people. And the reason I bring this up is because in this story, in in many ways, Jael is the hero. And she's not an Israelite. She's from a group of people that that are opposed to Israel, supposedly. 
but she also seems to have a deep um, hatred of Sisera. By the way, Sisera, the, the, the uh, leader of, of the, the army, was a, a pretty cruel person, the leader of the army that was opposing Israel, was a cruel person. He, was, he evidently um, would uh, use women and, and was a, seems to be a sex slave trafficker, kind of. It's later on, when they're writing in poetry about it, it his mother's going, will, will he have you know, t- a woman on each side of him that he's taken captive and doing with her what he pleases? You know? And Jael somehow, in the midst of all that, goes, this, is, this guy's not okay. And ironically, she uses that which it was considered women's work to put up the tents in those days. And so guess what she was good at? Using, <laughs> using a, a hammer, or whatever kind of hammers they used, and putting tent pegs in. It's like, like she used what she had. And I'd love, I'd love to say God uses what, what he's given us. But, you know, in this case, it's, it's pretty gruesome. It's a pretty gruesome story. So let me just go through and, and, sh- and share with you um, just some, some thoughts on, on what this means for us as, as God's people and, and what this means for us and how God uses us and how he calls to us. And God calls unique, unexpected people to bring about his redemptive purposes. Think about in the Bible all the unique people he's used. He used uh, you know, a, a really young teenage girl to bring his son into this world. A nobody from nowhere. He picks David, the least among, among his brothers, and has him be the the king of Israel, and he becomes one of the greatest men of all Israel. He picks um, Moses, who was, who was kind of exiled, self-exiled into, into another land because he had murdered an Egyptian to bring his people out of Israel. And he had a speech impediment, and he didn't want to do it, and he didn't feel comfortable doing it. He uses Peter, who was impetuous and, and obsessive and compulsive, and sometimes a chicken. And he uses Mary Magdalene, the woman who had seven demons, to be the first one that brings the message of the gospel to the apostles. And I bring that up because I think we disqualify ourselves way too often. We don't give God enough credit. We don't give God enough credit. He's able to use somebody like me. And he's able to use somebody like you to accomplish his purposes. Well, the first thing we run into is that, that as, as often happens with us and with, with the Israelites over and over again, the whole Old Testament is kind of a story about how it, <laughs> how we can't do it on our own. Have you realized that? We can't do it on our own. So it says again, the Israelites did evil what is uh, in the eyes of the Lord and e- after Ehud was dead, and the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Cana, who reigned over Sisera, over Hazar and Sisera, the commander of his army. 
had 900 chariots fitted with iron, and he cruelly oppressed the Israelites. God cruelly allowed his people to basically experience what they wanted. They wanted false gods. They wanted you know, their pagan neighbors to be like them. And God said, okay, here's what they're like. And often God in our own lives allows us to experience that which we want. God gave them, in Romans, it's Romans 1 it says, God gave them over to their sinful desires and their hearts to impurity, to degrading their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. And we all do that. We all, we all have, I, I, I call it drift. We drift. I have to, I don't know about you, but I have, to, I have to discipline myself to stay connected with God. I have to push myself to pray. I have to push myself to, to spend time with God. It doesn't come natural. There's not a natural inclination. When I was, there have been times in my life when I've just been hungry. And when, it's like when, you know, I really want to see God. But often it's when, when difficult things happen to me that God presses me into those places where I seek Him, where I draw near to Him. I'm like, I'm like um, Anne Lamott says, you know, she wrote a book called <laughs> Help, Thanks, Wow. You know, the essence of prayer, right? Help. Help. So Israel turns away from God like they do over and over again in, in Judges, and God allows them to be brought under captivity. He allows them to be oppressed. And, and, and this is so many of our stories. We, we, we drift away from God. We get ourselves in trouble. And then we cry out. And what does God do? He sits there and goes, Really? Now that you're in trouble, you come back. Yeah. Is that what God does? What does God do to the prodigal son? When he's, when he, when it, the father, when he sees him coming from a long distance, he, he turns to his servants and he says, let's let him grovel a little bit more. You know, it's amazing, like in the story of the prodigal son, this prodigal son has, and, and actually it's the story of prodigal God because prodigal means prodigious or extravagant. And the prodigal son had lived extravagantly. But part of what, Part of that story is about a God who's very extravagant in his love. Because the prodigal son had already rehearsed his repentance. I'm sorry, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be as one of your servants because they have it better than I have it right now. I'm out here feeding pigs. What drives us back to God? Often, one of my mission teachers said, people don't come to God because... Um, life is all going well and together, you know. We don't we don't come to God when everything's good, do we? I mean, some people do. Some people come to God in that place. Most of us reach rock bottom, and that's where God that's where God grabs a hold of us. And we have a God who's so amazing that He goes, you know what, Brent? I'm going to let you get to rock bottom. You have chosen. I chose in my life to turn away from me when I was about 13. And you have chosen that. I'm going to allow you to go your own way for a long period. But then there's going to be a point after three overdoses and being dragged, and vision of being dragged to my grave, 
but I'm also going to rescue you when you cry out for help. And you know what my first prayer was when I was being pulled over a grave kind of in a vision? My first prayer was just help. It literally was help. That's all I knew how to pray is help. And you know what? God loves to answer the prayer of help. Because he's so gracious. The prodigal father in the story of the prodigal son doesn't even let his son finish his whole dissertation. He had this whole dissertation. And he comes, and he comes up to him, his father and he says, Father, I have sinned. And that's about all the further he gets. And the father says, Quick, Go get a robe and put it on him, which was a symbol of being restored to his position, and put a ring on his finger, which was a, which was a, a symbol of being um, given his inheritance back again. And let's throw a big party for my son. Who does that? What kind of lessons is the son going to learn from from that? Why not make him grovel a little bit? Because that's not who God is. And you know what the lesson was that the prodigal son learned? He learned that that God was amazingly graceful. That God was amazingly kind. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, he says, But God is so rich in mercy. He's so rich. He's so wealthy. He's so overwhelmingly steeped in mercy that though we were dead because of our sins he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead it is by grace you have been saved and you see over and over again in the Old Testament we see God delivering his people when they cry out to him how did they get in trouble well they got themselves in trouble I mean we don't always our problems aren't always our own doing I mean, a lot of the things that people have, cancers and various other things, and even like my hip thing isn't my own doing other than I think I'm 16 when I'm not. But you know what? God, God doesn't care this morning. God doesn't care how you got into what you got into. I mean, he does in, in the sense that he wants to help you get out of it. What God cares about is the fact that you're crying out to him and he wants to restore you. God is, in the, in, in, God is in, the, in the business of restoring all of humanity. And what we all look forward to one day is the restoration of this whole world where God will make everything right again. Amen? That's God's purpose. And he starts out with people. And God uses surprising people to bring about his deliverance. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of... The wife of Labadoth, which means kind of lightning, you know, which I think is kind of interesting. It's kind of reflection. One of my Old Testament professors used to say that Deborah is a jewel in the dark place of judges. She's a jewel. She's an amazing jewel. And it doesn't tell us how Deborah is called. It said that she was a prophet. And she was, she was basically leading Israel. And she wasn't leading Israel through the normal systems of the priesthood and the government and all that because those evidently had become so corrupt that they were not really useful anymore. And she's faithfully leading Israel. And God chooses to use Deborah. 
And I've heard over and over again, and, and, and this is just not true. I've heard over and over again, well, it's because no man would take the job that God chose a woman. And I'm like, it doesn't say that anywhere. That's not true. And if you're a woman out here today, I want you to kind of rejoice in the fact that this, this, is, a, this is a woman who's, who's literally an amazingly strong woman. It sounds like from the song, when you read the song, that she's a mother. She's full of wisdom. She's not a warrior per se, but she is able to marshal the troops together and to speak courage into Barak so that he's able to do what God has called him to do. She's able to come alongside him and to say, you know what, you can do this. I don't know how many times my wife has come alongside me and said, Brent, you can do this. And after every Sunday, I always say, was that okay? Because I'm really insecure. Most pastors are really insecure, you know. I'll get done and I'll be like, oh, that was terrible. And she goes, oh no, it was amazing. And I go, really? And she goes, yeah. And she means it. She was, she was amazing and, and she, was, she was full of wisdom. She said, judging people. Don't discount yourself because of your gender. God doesn't. Jesus doesn't. You know, it's funny. There's this passage in, in, in Luke where Martha and Mary are both, you know, Jesus comes over because they're friends. And Martha is busy getting everything ready and she's doing all the housework and cooking and all that stuff. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus teach. And historically, we've all been taught, and there's part of this that's true, that that's a story about not being busy, about spending time with Jesus instead of just being busy all the time. And there's some truth in that. But the reality is, the reason that Martha's actually really upset is that, that sitting at the feet of a rabbi in that culture meant that you were going to be, become a rabbi, that you were going to become a teacher. And so she's sitting. What Martha's complaining about is, isn't so much that Mary's not helping her. That's part of it. But she's complaining about the role that Mary has assumed upon herself. And Jesus says to her, you know what? She's chosen. Martha, Martha, you're so busy about so many things. But Mary has chosen the greater portion. She's chosen to sit and become a learner and become a disciple. Like I said before, God chose Mary Magdalene to be the first apostle to the apostles. He chose a woman who was married five times and was living with the guy to be the first missionary in Samaria. I don't know, God doesn't seem to be as hung up on, on who should do ministry as we are. God uses surprising people. The Lord God, God of Israel commands you, go take your 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Tabar. Now we don't realize how overwhelming this, scene, this is. This is like... I mean, really, this is like God saying to you today, I want you to go to Ukraine and I want you to go do battle against all the Russian tanks. And you're like, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, this is, 
this is an amazing thing to be called to. It's like, has God ever done that to you? Like, hey, Brent, this is what I want you to do. And I'm like, really? I, are you sure? You know, like when we decided many, many years ago, right after we had gone through, back in the 90s, early, middle 90s, we went through a challenging church split. We went through about, from about 350 down to about 50 people. Our income was down about, probably about 60%. And one of our people in our council decided, we were meeting for the council, deciding what we should do, and he said, I think we need to do an addition. And we all looked at him like he was green. Like, what? An addition? We have nothing. We're, we're, this is like, if you could pick like the worst times to do an addition, this is the worst time to do an addition. And yet, as we prayed about it, we felt like, you know what, I think this is God. And you know what, what we do is we tend to look at ourselves, we tend to look at our own circumstances, we tend to look at our own resources, and, and we go, we can't do this. What if, what if Barak had just looked at his own circumstances and had looked at the enemy, what do you think he would have done? Because first of all, he doesn't, the 10,000 people he's told to get are not trained army. This is not a trained army. These are a bunch of farmers and, and whatever else they did. I don't know what else they did. Cattle, shepherds, whatever. That's who they were. Sisera has a thousand chariots and a thousand trained troops. This is a slaughter. This is, a, this is a peewee football team taking on a professional team. I remember many years ago in Wycliffe, actually. My daughter graduated from Wycliffe High School. And when she was there, Wycliffe happened to do really well in football. And so we became the pop parents. Not the pot parents. The pop parents. We, weren't, we were bringing pop. Pop. Do you hear that? Not T. P. Um to the kids when they're in the band. And so we're the pop parents. Well, Wycliffe that year, for some reason, I like to think it's because Teresa and I were praying for him, um, they somehow end up making it within like a couple games of the championship, literally the state championship for whatever division they were in. But one of the games they had to play was, I think it was St. Vincent, St. Mary or something. And they go out there, and the other team literally was... I mean, I don't know, but it looked like the other team had between 70 and 100 pounds on our team. Our team looked literally like, um, like peewee football players playing against college football players. And we were like, oh my gosh, they are just going to be slaughtered. And so we're like going, Lord, help them, help them not get killed. You know, help none of our players get killed. But you know what? Wycliffe went out there that night, and it was pretty amazing. Wycliffe goes out there, and the first couple, you know, the first little while, they start making plays. They start making more plays. They start making more plays, and we're like, "How is this happening? Our guys are like really tiny compared to these guys, and these guys are giants." And Wycliffe ends up winning that game. Yay, Wycliffe! And so. Deborah is used by God to call Barak to do this thing. And when she, when she goes, she needs some assurance in this process. Now, some people have said it's because he's a chicken. 
He said, I will lead Sisera, the commander of um, Jabin's army, uh, with his chariots and his troops, and give him into your hands. This is what the Lord has said. The Lord said, I will bring him down to the river, the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. And again, what God does in this, and we, don't, we're, we're, we learn this from the song in chapter 5, God brings him to the river, and he, he camps by the river, and God brings a flood. He makes it rain. At least that's what it says in the song in chapter 5. And guess what chariots aren't good in? Mud. They don't do well in mud. In fact, they're kind of sitting ducks in mud. So, <coughs> excuse me. And Barak's response in this whole thing is if you go, I will go. But if you don't go, I won't go. And some people have said, you know, that's why he doesn't get credit for this whole thing, or that's why blah, blah, blah. And that isn't what it says there. I think in some ways, he's, I mean, Moses did the same thing, right? Moses is like, I, you know, send my, send my brother-in-law with me. Send Aaron with me. He wants some confirmation. And, and in some ways, Barak's thing is even less, in, in, not needy, but it's, it's less desperate in a sense than Moses. He isn't trying to defer what he's called to do, but he wants a sign that God's going to go with him. Do you ever need a sign that God's going to go with you? Sometimes that sign can be another person. Sometimes we can be that other person. Sometimes we can say, hey, you know what? I think you need to go to the hospital, but I'll go with you. I'll be with you. Sometimes the sign of God's presence in our life is another person. I'll sit with you. I don't know how many times I've sat with parents. Sometimes parents who've lost children. Sometimes parents have lost the, their spouse. Sometimes I've sat with kids who've gone through some really hard stuff. We need assurance of God's parents and we need assurance of God's presence when um, we need assurance of God's presence when He calls us to do something. We need to know that He's going to go with us. And today, I would just want to encourage you, you know, you don't have to be a Moses. You don't even have to be a Barak to be used by God. And Deborah says, certainly I will go with you but because of the course you're taking. The honor will not be yours. The Lord del- will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, is that a slam? I, I don't know if it is or not. But I, again, I... I I don't think that we don't tend to beat up Moses too much when Aaron goes with him. We don't beat up some of the other people in Scripture when they say, hey, would you go with me? This is pretty overwhelming. I need a sign that God is with me. And the reality is that we're called, sometimes God will call us into, and I think there's some of you here today that God has called you into some really challenging things. And this next verse, I think, is something that Maybe you need to hear. When they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abuam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Haragesh 
Hagoyim to the Kishon River, all his men and 900 chariots of iron. And then Deborah said, Go this day, the Lord has handled Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So God not only goes with us when he calls us, but he goes ahead of us and he prepares the way. Can you picture kind of, I don't know exactly how the battle went down, but I kind of picture Barak going, all right, here we go. Here we go. We're probably going to die. There's a really cool scene in The Lord of the Rings, if you've ever seen um, The Lord of the Rings. It's, and it's when, when it's when all seems done. It seems like evil is about to win. And the king from Rohan, he's the, from one of the countries in The Lord of the Rings, they're just surrounded and they're sitting there and, and it looks like they're just going to be completely destroyed. And he begins this chant and he goes to the enemy, he goes, to death, to death, to death. We will battle till our death. And I kind of picture Barak kind of doing that. You know what? We're, we're going to our death. And you know what? In the middle of that, when Barak gets down there and he sees all these chariots stuck in the mud and all these charioteers with their long spears or whatever they used in chariots going, <laughs> like, like, we don't do good in mud. They didn't even bring their mud boots. And in, that, in the Lord of the Rings thing, that's when when I think it's when um, the wizard comes riding out from the castle with light. You see, God doesn't just call us and then leave us. He doesn't abandon us. When he called Teresa and I to come here 30-some years ago, every step of the way was terrifying for us. We were like, God, you need to show us today that where we're, we're, we are where we're supposed to be. And I've shared this story with you many times, and some of you are new and haven't heard it. One of the final things I had to do, and some, in the early days, there were a lot of battles with just changing things around in the church. And this church was, at, at the time we came, before we came, it had been a non-instrumental church of Christ, which didn't believe in Sunday school, which I'm not sure why, but whatever. So they didn't have any addition or anything over there. All they had was this, and then like little bathrooms right back there. And, and they had these really big, long pews. They were like... They were longer than half the church, so they had to angle them really long. And so, I, you know, I had I'd gone through all these battles with some of the leadership in the church, and I'm like, oh, we got it. You know, we were doing so many outreaches at that point, and every time we did, we had to stack these pews, which weighed, I don't know what, 150 pounds each or something. So it would take like four of us to lift the pews up and stack them. And it was just really hard, and it just became very evident that I knew what we needed to do. We needed to, and, and again, this is how this, the rubber meets the road in the reality of this. I knew that we needed to get chairs. And other people had confirmed it. But I also knew that I was going to get a ton of flack for it. And I'm like, Lord, I was terrified. I was terrified that day to get up. I'm not by nature uh, a, a bold person. 
I will get bold when, when God has called me to something and He's told me to do something. I've learned to trust that He will be faithful and if I walk out and if He's called me to pray for somebody, I will go and pray for them. If He's called me to say something, I will go and say it because I've learned over time that God will be with me. And so in this particular situation, I thought, okay, I will go up and I will announce... Now, this might sound like a big deal to a lot of you, but things in churches become golden calves pretty easy. And these pews that somehow become a golden calf in the church. Do you know what I'm talking about? Churches can be funny. And so I get up and I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to talk to you about that. And I was just about to say chairs. And right before I said chairs, this truly happened. All of a sudden, on, right over by kind of where Kathy O'Brien is sitting, all of a sudden we hear a crack. I'm like, that's weird. So I kind of stopped. And then I looked, and very slowly, there were about eight or ten people in that row. Very slowly, this pew self-destructs. And nobody got heard. It went really slow. All I see is like these feet coming up. <sighs> And pretty soon there's like 10, 10 sets of feet sitting up there. And I stood up and I said, enough said, we're getting chairs. And guess what? Nobody said anything. God goes before us. <laughs> there is a God, you know, and he does stuff. And he knew... He knew I was a young pastor. He knew that I was, had had a lot of battles and that it was hard. And he went before me. And he, I don't know if he sent angels in that night with screwdrivers and wrenches and took all the bolts out. I don't know what he did. I think some of the more skeptical people in church probably thought I did that. I was like, I just stood up there and literally went, And God uses unexpected people to accomplish the purposes. And so the person that really is the hero of this whole story kind of is this J.L. This guy comes into her tent. And I don't know, it doesn't say her motives. It doesn't say why she did this. These were supposed to be, she was supposed to be with J.L. and his troops. But I think, this is just my thought, I think that she understood the nature of who he was I think she knew what, she, what he had done to women. Their country had become known for sex slavery. I think she was opposed to all of that, and I think she was just, or maybe she just caught it, maybe he just caught her on a really bad day. <laughs> but whatever it was, she comes in, and she takes that which she has, and she knows, and she uses it. Now, this is not a sermon recommending that you go home and find ways to, uh, you know, kill your husband or her, anyway, whatever you might take this. This is not encouraging you to do this. But what I am encouraging you in is that God will take that simple thing that you know and can use it for his redemptive and transformative and powerful purposes. And sometimes it can be as simple like when God called Moses, he said, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. 
And God had called Israel, God had called Moses to take on the, the biggest power in the world, Pharaoh's army. And, God, and Moses going, how can I do it? And God goes, what's in your hand? And he says, a staff. And God goes, that'll work. That'll work. My question to you today is what's in your hand? What's in your hand? I get a walking stick in mine. I can't wait. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that some robbers come up or something, and I can, bam, bam. It can be like, it can be like the green, the green cane instead of the green hornet. The green caner. No, it's not. All right, let's pray um, before we go further down this rabbit hole. So, Father, thank you that that you use, you use such unique people. And God, you use crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And you use those of us who struggle with mental illness. You use those of us who are women. You use those of us who are men. You accomplish your purposes. You call us to do things that are way beyond our pay grade. I feel like you're speaking to some people today about job situations that you go ahead of them in that job that you're either having trouble with or you're afraid of or that God call, has called some of you to step out and do something and you've been kind of afraid, like, well, what if it doesn't work? Or you're looking too much at yourself and not enough at him. And he, when he calls us, he gives us what we need to do it. And so, Father, I pray for those who are doing that. And, Lord, I pray for those who are being oppressed today, whether it's by bosses or life or whatever the oppression is, their neighbors. I pray for those who are being oppressed. I pray too, I just feel like there's somebody who has something to do, I'm not even sure what it is, but it has something to do with pregnancy. And um, you're wrestling with something with that. And I want to encourage you to come and get prayer today. And some of you are just wondering, what is this whole thing about? I want to encourage you to come and just talk to somebody, talk to one of us. I pray this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. What's in your hand?